We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. We know that the people who are dying from this from this uh, disease. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. You've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 11th day of February, the year of our Lord, 2022. I am Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, Marty Foster. Marty, it's good to see you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking. Um, it's it's turned chilly again. I know we always talk about the weather for a few minutes, but suffice to say, it, it's been very mild, very sunny. But now I've just seen a brass monkey looking for a welder. Uh-huh. Did he have uh, did he have some type of Ebola or monkeypox that he could have passed on to you? I, I don't know if that actually works, uh, you know, across the pond. A brass monkey is actually something that they used to sit cannonballs on 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 the old warships, uh -huh. and the phrase was it would freeze the balls off of a brass monkey. And gotcha. so when the weather got so cold, it would shock the metal and these dissimilar metals, and the ball the cannonballs would fall off. Of course. Modern parlance, it, it, it kind of infers that the testicles have frozen. But of course, that's not what we meant at all. Anyway, I digress. Hi, Bruce. How are you? Healthy and alive. Um, I'm going to rub it in a bit. We have really nice weather here. Sunny. It's like t-shirt weather, early spring weather, which we should. I, I'm really hoping we have another freeze uh, to slow down the bug population. But other than that, uh, it's uh, really nice here. Excellent. I'm so pleased for you. As I'm sat here in a quilted jacket, a woolly hat, fingerless gloves, a big scarf on. Yeah, good on you. I thought we would talk a little bit about Canada today. Obviously, it's uh, it's starting to get heated down there. Now's where it gets really interesting. So you had the police come in a few days ago and they confiscated the fuel that the truckers had. They also took their food. We played a clip yesterday of one of the city councillors saying that, you know, asking the police chief when there were going to be arrests. When are we going to see arrests? When are we going to see all this, this violent criminal behavior? When are we going to see it squashed? Are we just going to sit and wait and gather intelligence? Is that all we're going to do? When are we going to see some action? People want action. People are being put upon in this city. We get that standpoint from her. Then you see reports today that the police, the, uh, the RCMP, uh, yeah, yeah, the RCMP, had to think for a second. They went down, and as you can see clearly here, gentlemen, on the screen behind me, they are clearly confiscating the uh, the firewood from people. Now, it is extremely cold in Ottawa right now. It is extremely cold there. It's minus 15 degrees Fahrenheit thereabouts, which is about minus 25 degrees Celsius. That's cold. That's cold. So they took all their fuel. You had good Canadians that stood up and said, yeah, we're going to, uh, okay, you say that you're going to arrest us for bringing in more fuel? Thousands more came rolling in with fuel cans that were full to restock it from what the police stole. You've got more people that are down there getting food than before. They've got so much excess food down there, they're actually feeding the homeless. And they say, according to their according to their own crime statistics, that you've got 90% less crime than what they had before. Well, see, that doesn't make the government look very good, does it? No, it doesn't. Because it shows that real working class people from the grassroots can actually step up and do it themselves and they don't need the government to actually do anything for them. That's a real problem. That's a real problem because it goes against the narrative. Uh, just a, a real quick, a, a uh -huh. bit of information on that, uh, those those fuel cans they were bringing in. I thought this uh -huh. was fun. Uh, the fuel cans they brought in, uh, one in three was actually full of fuel. Uh, so it made it, even if law enforcement was to stop them, they're very. It's a 66% chance that they're going to have an empty jerry can. So then, you know, the officer, what is he going to do? It's they're protesting. What? what there's nothing there. Clever. That is good. very clever. That is good. That happens. Now you've got the mainstream media up there saying that, yeah, we're we're probably because of the dangerous conditions in there. You know, the the inflatable bounce houses, the bouncing castles for the kids and stuff, the, the dangerous situation in there uh, for that. You know, the, the hay bales they had up there for the kids to jump on. Those are dangerous conditions, you see. Now they're talking about sending in Child Protective Services 
to deal with the uh, the children that are in there in dangerous conditions. Now, gentlemen, I, I don't um, I don't think I have to tell you that when you start messing with someone's family, when you have no just cause like that, then you're going to create a problem. Uh, you're going to start seeing, well, shall we say resistance, uh, and it's not going to go well. The Canadian government uh, and the church, for that matter, in, in Canada, doesn't have a great record for dealing with people's children, particularly those of the indigenous people. So I think this would be a really big mistake for them to to do that. Also, the, the clips that you've shown us, the police just look like stormtroopers, don't they? They are, you know, balaclavered up, faces covered, massive tack vests, all in black. Uh, th this is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I think they should be forced to perform their duties in that beautiful red tunic that um, that they wear. And, and and indeed, be oh, look at them, all, all with the red hats on. Yeah, that's just to signify that they are... RCMP as opposed as opposed to any other. I mean, part look of at them. This is this is what they're talking about sending them there right now to deal with these protesters. The stormtroopers. That, that that's that's what they are, and it's 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 disgraceful. One of the most gratifying things that happened to me today. Well, I've just seen you flick through a picture of of good old Justin. Yeah, Justin yeah, yeah. Trudeau. There. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, his uh, his stepbrother was on uh, GB News. And he was saying how much he loved his brother and uh, used to have a really good relationship. But over the last decade or so, they've grown apart. I think his name's Dan Wooden was the um, the interviewer. Asked him why. Why, why, have, why have you grown apart from your brother? And he, he basically said on mainstream media, because he's a WEF puppet and is doing the bidding of Klaus Schwab and Bill and Melinda Gates. So... For once, the truth has actually come out. Admittedly, the the viewership of of GB News isn't huge because it's a it's a new station. But it, it came out, uh, you know, it was stated on mainstream media, and I'm just hoping that we start to hear more of it. That that the um the other channels start to grow a pair and start reporting this properly. I do. They like asked the question. Yeah, sorry. Just, on, just no, no, no. Just on that note, uh, I do like Neil Oliver and his take when he does his little segment on there. He always calls it like it is, and then he does a fantastic job with it. He's he's a very intelligent man, and he and this other guy used to do like historical geography tours around the United Kingdom for a TV show, and that's where I first saw Neil Oliver. But his his commentary on current affairs is absolutely brilliant and spot on. What a great guy he is! I uh, I happen to have a <laughs> happen to have a letter here from the office of the prime minister, uh, which would be Justin Trudeau. This is to, addressed to the Ottawa convoy protesters on behalf of the government of Canada. I, we can go around the room and discuss this. On behalf of the government of Canada, I would like to extend an offer to meet with the protesters of the Ottawa convoy conditionally. Of course, he's got some conditions here. Over the past two years, we have all endured hardships, particularly our most vulnerable residents. While my position is dictated by the hardworking scientists and doctors of Public Health Canada, I wish to engage in meaningful dialogue in the spirit of Canadians coming together. I would like to encourage vaccinations while respecting the rights of all Canadians. To that end, I will meet with both organizers and participants of the protests in the nation's capital for a total sum of time no more than the summation of, here are the conditions, five minutes per trucker in the Ottawa convoy that gets a vaccination after February 8th. Two minutes, oh, it gets better, two minutes per trucker that can show proof of vaccination received prior to February 8th. And one minute per convoy participant that can show proof of vaccination prior to February 8th. Delegates that wish to attend may confirm by either email to my office, and he lists his address there, through your local MP's office, or in writing, with details to be determined. Well, he's, he's totally missed the point quite deliberately, obviously. His, his narcissism is, <laughs> is absolutely uh, astounding. The whole purpose of their protest is body autonomy and that they shouldn't have to have the snake oil to be able to do their jobs. The man's disgusting. Honestly, every time I, I think about him, I get a, a, like indigestion and a knot of fire in my gut. Because it, it just winds me up so much. No, they're not going to do that, are they? And he's going to, the only way 
When's the next general election? Uh, I'm not sure. I believe it's every four years, just like ours. And I have no idea. Bruce is probably on it already. Yeah, it'd be it, the, the only way that this is going to really change is, is when he's ousted. Uh, yeah. And he, and he will be ousted. That's what these politicians are just not getting. Yeah, go ahead. What did you, you find? Uh, it won't be till 2025. 2025. It just happened uh, a few months ago in uh-huh. September of last year. Yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. You know, yeah, but well, we're I, uh, kind of in the same boat with, with Boris, who's, who's um, yeah, you know, should have resigned by now. Yeah, but due to the nature of your system, you can actually, uh, as time progresses, I think that'll happen. I, I think that'll happen. But you're going to end up with another situation like you had with Theresa May. You know, you're going to have somebody in there that's willing to kowtow to Brussels or or Davos, Switzerland, or, or what the hell, or Beijing, or what the hell. Oh, I'm yeah, right. yeah. But we, we yeah. need, we're, we're, he'll be, if he resigns, then the, the 1922 um, committee will select another leader. Uh-huh. Um but and then you can call – he can stay in there or he can call for a general, right? And then, of course, it's up in the air at that point. I, he, I don't think he'd, he'd have the backing of the party. The party wouldn't back him to stand as the leader for another general election anyway. Uh-huh. Okay. So so he, and, he's just hanging on for grim death. Yeah, and Labour's in tatters with uh, with Starm. Are you kidding me with, with this guy? He, yeah, he's he's as as implicated as as the rest of them. Um, yeah, we have no opposition at the moment. That's that's the problem. None of our countries do. None of our countries yeah. do. We're all in the same jackpot here, my friend. Um, okay, so keeping with Canada here, uh, this is th- okay. Th- this this is something I want I want to discuss. I told you I told you both that I was going to play devil's advocate today. Now it's not very yeah. often I play devil's advocate. It's not very often I play that at all. But this conversation that we need to have bears relevance because no one else is having it. The more I thought about it, the more it it plays in my head and it sort of makes sense. So let's talk on it. You have the convoy of Canada start, right? Everybody shows up. You got a group of truckers out in British Columbia. They all gathered and they said, by the way, just a disclaimer, I'm not saying this is happening, but it bears relevance what I'm about to talk on. You have all the truckers form a convoy up in British Columbia that said, we're going to Ottawa and we're going to park up there and we're not leaving until this corrupt government resigns, until all these things are pulled out because we're not doing this for, we're not leaving this kind of a, a mess for our kids. Okay, fine. And it gained steam as it was coming across the uh, uh, coming across the country. So they picked them up as they as they got out of British Columbia. You had more people joining Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And by the time it hit Ontario, man, it was just it was raring to go. And of course, you had people coming over from Nova Scotia. You had people coming over from Quebec. I mean, all, all the way down through there. I mean, all, all the provinces, I think, have representation down there. But when that happened, I'm talking about the early days before the convoy hit Ottawa. Everyone was being organized, at least the, the convoys were being organized. I started seeing groups pop up all over Telegram, as in like the Europeans were organizing. You know, you've got 20, uh, 27 member states over here. All of a sudden, all of them just have groups that pop up that are organizing all of these things. Within a few hours, Australia had something that was set up. New Zealand had something that was set up. The Arab nations had something that was set up. I, I don't understand that one. And the South Americans set something up as well. They had convoys rolling for each one of these places. It's almost like it was a well-coordinated thing that just popped up all of a sudden. And I would go into some of these chat rooms that I would see for some of these countries. And people were saying, yeah, we're working, you know, some of the admins and moderators are saying, yeah, we're, we're working 15, 16 hour days and shifts to try and get all this stuff organized. And I'm thinking to myself, who's paying for that? Who's paying for that? Well, the more I thought on it, what do they need? Bruce and I have been talking here for the last few days about they need a dialectic. They need the struggle and they don't have it. When you have a Marxist revolution in a country, which is what they are committing, they are committing to that. The reason that they are so upset right now is because this is a counter-revolution to their revolution. What does the Marxist movement do when it seizes power in a country? It always guards against a counter-revolution. If you stand up in any way, shape, or form against that Marxist revolution, you are a counter-revolutionary every single time throughout history, whenever that's happened. You're a counter-revolutionary. These people that are in Ottawa, they're counter-revolutionaries. The Germans that are out there in the streets, they're counter-revolutionaries. The French have been threatened by Macron today with two years in prison if they form up a convoy and they're caught going to Brussels. Who's paying for this? Now, granted, they were taking donations from uh, from their first uh, donation platform, which was GoFundMe. They had 10 million in there. Well, with these platforms, you can give anonymously. Who plays both sides of a war? It's George Soros, isn't it? It's our friend yeah. George Soros. Who plays both sides? Yeah. He always plays both sides. So you see, they need 
a conflict and they don't have it. You might have a grassroots movement here, sure. But see, it plays right into their hand. It plays into their hand and it gives them exactly what they want. They don't have the violent struggle. But if you start messing with people's kids, if you start saying, oh, well, playing the agenda that we saw with January 6th in the United States, which they're using that as a playbook, you can see the writing on the wall with it. You got the mainstream media pundits all stirred up, down there demonizing it. We played the clips yesterday of the woman who was saying, when are we going to start seeing arrests? These are these are insurrectionists. These are terrorists. These are domestic uh, whatever, you know, domestic terrorists, all the rest of it. Every buzzword that they've been using. They're attacking our democracy, so on and so forth. And today, sure as I'm sitting here, right on cue in the Canadian mainstream media, you have counselor in the city of Ottawa, Diane Deans, saying this. Uh, we we all need to work together. This is not something this country has ever seen before. I understand Mark uh, Carney referred to it as sedition today. I think that's exactly what it is. This is treason. This is way bigger. This is a group of well-polished professional people that are trying to overthrow the 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 government of democratically elected government of this country. This is not, it's not a target on the city of Ottawa. It's much bigger than that. It's really an insurrection. It's a, it's an attack on our democracy. It's an attack on our federal government. It has a lot of international elements to it. The money is flowing from the U.S. Right. Um, this is right out of the Trump playbook. So you see, the stage is being set. And if you're if you're looking at it from and again, I, I like I said, I, I believe that you have a, a lot of grassroots people in there. I think that's what it is. But I think that there is a Soros element based on his past involvement in movements, trying to either create them to create the conflict or to hijack a, a grassroots movement. Either way, I think that there are bad actors involved in one way or another behind the scenes. Is that demonizing the entire thing that the Canadians are doing? No. No, I'm not saying that at all, because they've had to resort to where I'm where I'm at here in mainland Europe. They've had to resort to sticking Antifa out there to peacefully protest to make it seem like they're the ones that are calling for uh, the end of covid restrictions. When in fact, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. They're the ones that are out there smashing and burning and looting and rioting and all the rest of it, calling it a mostly peaceful protest. So I think it bears relevance. Again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm asking the question. I'm calling it like I see it. It plays to their agenda. They're twisting the agenda now. Now that the stage has been set, the media pundits come in, they demonize everybody. The politicians come in, they demonize everybody. Then they can turn around, use the media, send in the stormtroopers, as you were saying, Marty. Yeah, they took all their fuel. They took all their their food. They took all their firewood. They're calling them domestic terrorists, insurrectionists, everything else. They've tried to starve them out, and that hasn't worked. They've tried to cut off their resources. Siege, remember? Successive approximation. Mm -hmm. Hasn't worked. And now... You've got Trudeau offering a offering an olive branch, if you will, in his disgusting way that he does it, saying, oh, well, I'll only meet with people for two minutes if they've been vaccinated. Two minutes? Two, you're going to talk to somebody for 120 seconds to take something that can kill them? You're a sick man. You're a sick man, son of Castro. Oh, yeah, I said it. And I'm not the only one saying it now either. But it bears yeah. it bears relevance. I have to ask the question. Now, I'm, I'm happy to step back and, and let the two of you take over. Well, my my take on it, um, now you've you've put the idea in my head is is yeah you're probably right but they the government of Canada holds all the cards that woman whoever she was she she reminded me of some comedy actress American comedy actress I can't remember who what what her name is but it's funny you um, say that most of these people are failed uh, failed stage actors yeah yeah and and we all know how left wing the loveys are but. She can say what she likes on that on that network, and she's not going to be challenged because it's a bought and paid for biased media, and and so she can she can spout that nonsense, that absolute tripe that she was talking without fear of being called up on it because the the people who are the anchors on that news show are not going to do it. They're not going to challenge her on what she's saying, and so we need to challenge those things as as often as we can. And do you know what? If Soros is funding this particular protest and, and others, um, uh, and, and when you look at how fast it was organised and how well it's been organised, then somebody is definitely funding it. Then he may have made a big mistake because this 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 very protest could be the one that that is the straw that breaks the 
totalitarian camel's back. So he could have made an error. But again, I'm not I'm not at all sure he is the money behind this organization mm-hmm. because it's been going on for over 20 months. And truckers are a community. They're a global community. And they have unions. They have groups that they'll talk through. And maybe someone has got organized that way. But I, I totally take on board the possibility that it's been funded anonymously by someone like Soros to create that conflict. There's a point where I can say that it, it kind of isn't funded by Soros. And the reason I say that is because if someone like him were one of the organizers or the group of that he usually employs through his foundations, if he or his foundations are one of his foundations are organizing this on a mass scale, then GoFundMe would not have cut off their funds because it's been a predominantly uh, left-wing donor, if you will. Uh, they would yeah. not have cut anything off. They would have just let it go. <laughs> they would have been impartial. I, I at least. can't see the legal standing by which they have cut that off. There I, is I, no legal standing. No, that's that's wire fraud is all that is. When, when you give money yeah. to a cause, or excuse me, when you give money to, uh, to an intermediary that's taking donations for a certain cause, then you turn around as that intermediary and you say, uh, yeah, uh, we're not going to give any of that money to the charity we said we were going to give to. We're going to give it to somebody else. That's called fraud. And if you do it electronically, mm. that's called wire fraud. It's plain and simple. I don't know how they're going to spend that one, but um, I see massive lawsuits. As a matter of fact, uh, my home state of Ohio, the attorney general there says, if you're an Ohio resident and you've given to that convoy, let my office know. The uh, the AG there said, let my office know and we'll file suit and we'll go to fight for you on your behalf. So that's, great. that's a, that's that's a good. start. That that is a yep. start. GoFundMe did say they were going to give a full refund to everybody, so they're they're trying to you know skirt around that, if you will. So I don't know how well it'll hold up in court if they do a full refund. Uh, but I to the Soros thing, I do think he's funding it, but he's not the major funder, uh, and I don't think he's an organizer either. I think he's just trying to fund it to ensure that there is that dialectic. But I'm I'm kind of with Marty on this one. I think it's going to be their undoing. Uh, because they also have lawsuits that are one lawsuit is actually uh, being pushed by one of the individuals that created their Bill of Rights, which was back in the uh, 80s. He's filing the lawsuit. And then in fact, I think he's the only one left alive uh, right now that can file that lawsuit. But anyway, he's challenging him in court saying uh, you violated our entirety of our Constitution with the mandates, the lockdowns, all of that. So. Uh, basically, they have a very similar to the United States uh, Bill of Rights. They they have very similar there as far as, you know, freedom of travel, the First Amendment, you know, those kind of things. So they're challenging it. I, I think this could be the beginning of the end of the totalitarian uh, regime there in Canada if they're able to continue pushing and they don't let back until they get their freedom back. If If they do that, this is going to be, it's a backfire for what Soros wants. Uh, yeah. I, I think in this scenario, yeah. but I, and, again, because we we examine all sides of things, that's why that's why we have to talk about it because I, I'm not hearing that anywhere else. So we've got to we, we've got to look into it because as soon as I saw the all the things popping up all over the place and people are like, yeah, we're working 15 hours. Okay, you're not doing that for free. So who's paying you? And then to the uh, to the rest of the world that's following suit, the rest of the world knows Canada. Canada is very it, it's a joke, right? We're sorry. Canada's sorry. Uh, I mean, this, uh, that's the joke, right? They're, uh, they're very kind. They're very, very nice people. They don't do this kind of thing as far as uh, protesting. And they just put one of the biggest in the world protests as far as trucker, probably the biggest ever for truckers uh, protesting. And the, the rest of the world, I think, was in shock going, Canada just, Canada just beat us to the punch. Um, we're being shown up by Canada. So I think they all stu- uh, stood up and found found their testicular fortitude thanks to Canada. That's true. That's true. Like I said, the uh, the New Zealanders, the Kiwis, they showed up down in front of their parliament with a giant convoy of trucks. They surrounded the parliament and they're not leaving. And uh, of course, you've got uh, you've got convoys here across Europe that are headed for Brussels and they're due to convey there in four days. And they said they're going to surround the parliament in Brussels and they're going to park there and they're not leaving until all that comes down. You know, and again, uh, as a filthy American, I am uh, I am ashamed at our own country for not being the ones pushing the the biggest uh, protest in the world for truckers or any protests in general. I'm 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 ashamed that uh, we weren't the ones that first started this. As um, you know, we're we're kind of the first of the 
Western societies to, to have the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, all that, you know. I just think that the um, the gaslighting that's gone on in, in the US to allow, uh, um, you know, a senile old man like Biden to wind up in the White House is so enormous that um, it's taken a lot of the fight out of, of the US. Normally, the US would be leading the world against this kind of tyranny. I think the medical term is emetic, it's something you give someone when you want to make them sick so that they can empty their stomach. I mean, how have we got these human emetics into so many governments? You've got, uh, what do you call it, Arden in New Zealand. It takes about four seconds before I feel like vomiting when I watch her on TV. Uh-huh. It's the same with Trudeau. It's the same with Biden or whatever Dan the vice Andrews. president is. Of yeah. uh, Victoria, I, I can't stand that guy. The uh, oh, what's his name? Do you remember that guy that called us uh, from the the, uh, the Northern Territory down there in uh, uh, in Australia, Marty? We were uh, we were listening to that, and he called us a bunch of tinfoil hat wearing tossers <laughs> that don't understand. Yes, yeah, it was um, some quite eloquent uh, alliteration. Um, but the man is so it's so obvious that they they are still gaslighting people. They're still trying to get people to take sides. And the only side that anyone should be on is their own and and what's right for them. And what's right for all of us is to get rid of these totalitarian governments. And I never thought I would live under a totalitarian regime, but it's getting ever closer. It's kind of interesting how they were able to uh, to do this. Uh, and I, I want I want to get into that. So you mentioned about having our governments, our, our democracies undermined. All right, let's go that route with it. We've played the clip here of Klaus Schwab before, uh, and I'm going to do it again. But before I do that, uh, I'd like to reference a piece that Dr. Robert Malone uh, spoke on on Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, Tucker Carlson today. This is not his evening show. This is his morning show. And uh, he was discussing the uh, the World Economic Forum and their Young Global Leader Program and how that has been brought to the forefront over the last couple of years and how you're pretty much asleep at the wheel or or asleep at the switch or whatever you want to whatever analogy you want to use. You're you're not paying attention if you're not able to see this. Take a listen to this. You cannot go through the last two years without being transformed and becoming acutely aware of how compromised our government is. And it's not just our government. For me, I've been dragged kicking and screaming, you know, just resisting this whole World Economic Forum thing. Um, And the, the kind of the epiphany moment for me was when I encountered the Young Leaders Program and uh, the videos of Klaus Schwab bragging about how he has basically infiltrated all of the Western governments. With I believe Justin Trudeau participated in that, didn't he? Justin Trudeau, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Uh, it goes on and on. Matter of fact, uh, so one of the things we're going to do on our Substack is we're going to try to um, do the diligence and map the Young Leaders Program graduates uh, to their various positions throughout the United, throughout the um, North American government structure, Canada and the United States, because they're all over. Every neoliberal robot with power, it seems like, came through that. And the, what they, what one of the characteristics they seem to share, if you look at Gavin Newsom and Justin Trudeau, is is two exemplars. Um, uh, the you know the leader of New Zealand, I mean, just goes on and on and on, is they they don't seem to be big thinkers. No, and, not at uh, all. They, they're very much party line people. Yes. And that was a confusion to me, too, until I saw the website where the World Economic Forum lays out its policy position. It's very fascinating. It's interactive. You know, if you click on COVID-19, it shows how that relates to um you know, uh, global warming and everything else. Exactly. It's all, it's all inter- Climate change, institutional <laughs> yeah, racism, yeah. COVID. And, it's and, all in a matrix. And, yeah, but it is. Oh, I know. It is. It's all there. Your thoughts, Marty? The amount of discrediting that's happened to Malone since he's, um, you know, put himself firmly on the right side of history is shocking. And I, and I don't know how much notice people will actually take, even though, the man's a genius. He's he's done such great research and he's on the right side of history, but he's been so discredited by the mainstream media and any time 
his name is invoked as as a as a proper argument against what's going on, it's just dismissed. So, but it's total um, affirmation. It's total affirmation of everything oh yeah. you were previously mentioning. You you didn't know that that clip was was coming up, but it's no. it's exactly along the lines of what you just laid out before we played it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for me personally, that's gratifying. But Malone, Yeadon, and all those other people who have been involved in this whole process, um, but are on the right side of history, we need them on, we, we need to get them on onto mainstream media on Tucker's program. So great. But again, how many liberals watch that show? None. So who's the news going to get to? That's just it. Is is everything that they've done uh, with all of the programs that that Malone's talking about, which we've been talking about here at Nauseam for for years now. They're set up to be divisive. It, he, he's he's exactly right about uh, Trudeau and Ardern and, and and all these other people. They're not thinkers. They're not people no. that that can conjure up any kind of uh, independent thought for themselves. They're just followers. We said that in the very early days when we said all the governments were kind of. I mean, when we were watching all of the governments do exactly the same thing and say exactly the same thing, we're like, these are all a bunch of followers. Okay, who are they get their marching orders from? And then yeah. I thought World Economic Forum. Okay, I've I've been watching them for a good number of years, and it was public, but I didn't really notice uh, Schwab and Company kind of taking this leadership role. And it's just they've kind of asserted themselves as as being that uh, over the last uh, couple of years. And now we can see why. Um, he also said this other piece right here. This is only about thirty seconds long, and then I want to play the clip of Schwab uh, to reference exactly what he was talking about. We've played it here before, but I'm going to play it again because it's extremely important. But where I was going to go with with Steve is he started to use the term the party of Davos, and I and I think that that's more than just political slang. Oh, I agree. I think it captures. I I do think I really have I've been dragged into this, but I'm now um of the opinion that we have had a 30-year effort to subvert uh, the Western democracies by a group of people that are backed by big money uh, that um, believe in the concept of a centralized government uh, for, for the world. Now, judging by what he just said, okay, Klaus Schwab in 2017 at Harvard University. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like this Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Pres of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world. Great form, and that's true in Argentina. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, that's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the president, with a young global leader. But what is important for me? Do you need to hear any more? No, no. But that that should be enough. That that should be enough for sovereign states to immediately stop all world economic forum activities. To just state categorically that what they've done is underhanded and it's subversive and it should be a banned organization. You're right. These these people that were young global leaders, they've been specially selected, not because of their intellect or their policies or their ideas, but because of their narcissism and their ambition. So they've they've got all the ambition to want to be leaders of countries but they've got none of the know-how. So, of course, they'll follow the guidance direct from Davos. And it, and it is all about this, this global government. No one's got the stomach to, to fight a war to, to take over the world anymore because we, we've seen what happens when, when people do. try that. The Chinese do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're, and they're, they're kind of succeeding um, bit by bit, but it's all by stealth. It's by, um, you know building infrastructure in, in Africa and, and making these governments totally indebted to them. The Australian government, the, the same. Um, that, that's how they're doing it. Uh, and 
yeah, they are not thinkers. They are narcissists, highly ambitious. And of course, once they get put into a position, they will just do as they're told. And, and that's what's been happening. But I think I watch the mainstream media still because I want to see what the enemy's saying. You just um, want to watch Kay Burley, the wank puff, and that's, <laughs> that's all. Kay Burley, she's another human emetic. Um, <laughs> well, okay, makes Piers Morgan, all right? I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Piers Morgan, Dr. Hillary, no, you know? So, no. <laughs> honestly, I've I've aged so much in the last 20 months. Um, I, I, I used to be quite handsome, but I, I'm just turning into a, a wizened old man with the amount of vitriol that gets created on a daily basis it every time I watch the news. It is stressful. I have to admit, it is stressful. You know, I, I had made the comment yesterday, I, I don't know if you listened to yesterday's or not, but I made the comment yesterday that by these uh, these convoys that are happening, which by the way, this is breaking, the Ottawa convoy has, they've just sent a detachment from downtown Ottawa to the airport to continue circling the airport, honking until they're ordered to leave. So I'd just like to throw that out there. Uh, there's also a, uh, a group of trucks, uh, a convoy of trucks that has just blocked the U.S. border crossing in the province of Manitoba as well. So that border crossing is now shut down as well. Anyway, as it relates to the convoys that are now in places like New Zealand, in, uh, in Auckland, they've, they've completely shut down the parliament down there. Uh, or at least they're attempting to, Canberra, Australia. You got the Aussies that have camped up down there and they said they're not leaving. The Canadians are camped up in front of their parliament. They say they're not leaving. The Europeans are doing the same. They're trying to organize a similar thing right now. They're headed to Brussels and they say they're going to park up there. They're not leaving. And of course, we we were just kind of going over uh, the, uh, the protests beforehand that are happening here in Germany on a scale that I've never seen before. That I mean, it's, a, it's unbelievable, uh, the amount of people that are out there. And I see the governments themselves. I see them. I, I know you say they're holding all the cards, but at the same time, they're losing the narrative. They're losing the people. They're losing the, the the trust of the people. So if we can, if we can, I guess give them a taste of their own medicine. If we can choke them off from these buildings. I mean, I know they're not going to just go quietly. They're not going to give up. But if we can choke them off, if we can get their resignations tendered yesterday, then we can have new snap elections. By the way, when I say snap, I'm not talking about voting machines or vote by mail or any of that other crap. I'm talking about a paper ballot with a carbon copy that you get one of. That's it. That can be verified. That's dropped in a clear box. It's not ballot stuffed in the middle of the night. That's hand counted, not by a machine. That's voting. Now, if we can do that, at least I'm talking peaceful here, right? Because that's the way it has to be. If we can do this in all these countries... At that point, if we can get duly elected government that is by we the people, that represents we the people, as opposed to having this, this undermined democratic process that we've had for the last three decades, or probably even longer, God only knows, because that group that Schwab formed was in the 70s. If we can get governments in immediately that represent our interests and what we want and an end to all this insanity, then we can neutralize, at least for the time being, we can neutralize the quarterbacking that's coming out of Davos, Switzerland from Klaus Schwab and company. We can deal with them, but at least, at the very least, we can shut down these agendas, is my point. If the United Nations actually did the job it was supposed to do, then this drive by these elite for a world government wouldn't be necessary in their eyes. But the fact is that the UN doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And now Davos is seeking to take the sovereignty away from sovereign states by undermining its government. What, you know, to, to stand as a member of parliament, you must not have a criminal record. You must, um, you, you meet certain criteria. And, and what I would like to see is one more criteria be added, and that is having had nothing to do ever with the young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. It should immediately disqualify anyone from standing for any kind of office in any government in any country in the world. That's got to be, I don't know, I, I wish I was more powerful. I wish I was rich enough to bring that kind of lawsuit and get that kind of lobbying going to get something like that to happen. Maybe we could use GoFundMe. Oh, no, that won't work, will it? Well, we can't use that or the Bank of France this evening. It's on fire. Yes, the Bank of France, where, where they print all the quantitative eased uh -huh. uh, euros. Yeah. Um, do you think that's that's part of the plan to move to a cashless society? 
I don't know, because paper money only stays in circulation 18 months anyway, on average. So I, I honestly don't know, because I I mean, they're going to have to print more anyway. They've got printing presses all over the place. The Germans print some, the, uh, you know, the Spanish print some, the Italians print some, the Dutch print some. So, I mean, everybody has their own printing presses. You, you don't have to print anymore. You just add another zero. Digitally. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And when it gets overvalued like that, you can just do what Venezuela did and said, we're going to get rid of inflation. We're just going to remove nine zeros. That's all we're going to do. Wow. I yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to throw out real quick. Remember that um, um, Schwab said there that Putin was also one of the, the leaders uh-huh. that might shed a little bit of light on uh, young global leaders that might shed a little bit of light on what Putin's thinking and all of this. So, um, you know, I yeah, the uh, the, the Russian thing. I'm of the opinion now, and I, I, I'm only saying this because of how they're behaving. I'm of the opinion now that the Soviet Union, as in the Soviet Union collapse, I don't think it actually collapsed. I think they did it on purpose. Hear me. I think they did it on purpose to play the long game. If you have the West that was unwilling to budge on being infiltrated by this type of uh, this type of wokeness that's happening all across uh, all across Western civilization. If you had a West that was unwilling to budge, you had a West that was always guarding their institutions. Well, what's the best way to do that? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Yeah, it's a karate technique and stuff we use in martial arts as well. If you go strong against strong, you wind up at an impasse. And the brief moment of relaxation from one side causes the other person to go off balance. And I think that's what you're alluding to, that they they basically took away that resistance for a split second and the West just stumbled forward and, and, and went off balance. At the same time, we also got involved in, uh, in the Gulf War, which you were a part of, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But we also- No, I was, yes. We also got involved with that. And the, the Russians were concerned that uh, at, at the time uh, of the Soviet Union, when it was still up, this is before uh, the whole Chernobyl thing, but at the time they were concerned that the US, uh, the UK and the French, we weren't drawing down our military presence in West Germany at the time. And we wouldn't budge on it. We wouldn't pull any of our people. And so after that, we started to get involved in conflicts in, uh, in the Middle East. That's when the Gulf War started. So we were able to then divert our, uh, our assets and our resources in Europe, uh, in Western Europe, and it allowed them to, uh, to put that guard down, if you will. Uh, and it, it, it allowed us to, to kind of stumble around because we were off balance, right? We were fighting a, a war somewhere else because we didn't have the Soviets to compete with anymore, or so we thought. So that was another way for them to uh, to take advantage of the situation. Or do you think I'm I'm off off well, point I, there? Well, I personally think everything that's happened in the Middle East has been part of American foreign policy. So that's what's it has, driving. Yeah, that, that's it's, what's driving driving it's that. This, it's all laid out in this book. Uh, this book right here. It's called The Grand Chessboard by Zbigniew Brzezinski. And basically, his well, of course, it's a it's an old outdated theory. But uh, he's also the one that was uh, he was the national security advisor under uh, under Jimmy Carter. And he also worked mm-hmm. for the Obama administration. He was also the individual that armed a group out of Afghanistan, a group of guerrilla fighters out of Afghanistan called the Mujahideen, run yeah. by a man named Osama bin Laden. You ever heard of him? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Name might ring a bell. Uh, he wrote this book, and his theory in this book, uh, it's a great book for anybody that's, uh, that's interested in geopolitical strategy, uh, but his, his theory was flawed, but in a way... The policy that, that you're describing was his policy. He laid it out in this. And that's what the, the U.S. government was following with their foreign policy for the longest time. And that was those who control the Eurasian landmass control the world. It was that simple. Uh, and that's the policy that the U.S. operated on since, I want to say, the, the start of the Cold War. And it was his policy. Also, if you look at the types of nations, the, those in the northern part of the Gulf tended to be supplied by the Soviets by the Russians, so that they're, they're they're in T74s and using AK47s and so on. And the, those in the southern part of the Gulf were supplied by the US, United Kingdom, and Australia and and Canada and so on. And at at the end of um, Desert Storm One, so you know the the, the, the first Gulf War, we we're in a position where we could have easily removed Saddam Hussein. You know, taking his reg- regime out, the coalition was all lined up, ready to go, but you couldn't get a United Nations edict on it. 
yeah, it seemed to all intents and purposes that was a totally justified thing to do because of the 350,000 Kurds that it gassed in, in northern Iraq uh, and the fact that it in, invaded a peaceful neighboring country. But instead, what we wound up doing was creating more fear and tension amongst those allied Gulf states. And during the 10 years between Gulf War One and Gulf War Two, we just sold them loads of stuff. We sold them lots and lots of military hardware. Uh, and so the, you know, the, the aerospace and the defense companies made all the money. Well, they've had their turn now. Now it's the turn of Big Pharma. So those companies are making money. But of course, the same people who are invest who were invested in the defense companies are also invested in the big pharmaceutical companies as well. So it's the same people making money out of the situation and it's all created. The situation is all sustained, created and sustained by American foreign policy, by that book that you just held up. I wanted to get your thoughts on this too. We Bruce and I saw this uh, last week, but uh, they've just uh, they've just confirmed it. And you being a, a person that spent a good number of years in the region over there, the U.S. is sending an entire squadron of F twenty two fighters to the UAE immediately. U.S. senior uh, senior U.S. military official has confirmed that the U.S. will work closely with the United Arab Emirates to help defend the country against Houthi terrorist strikes. Houthi rebels. Those are the group that's backed uh, out of Iran. Uh, correct. Yeah, obviously they're they're in Yemen, um, and the war in Yemen has been going on for quite some time now, mostly prosecuted by Saudi Arabia. Um, but just how much use is an F twenty two fighter aircraft well, against? I don't, I don't um, against a terrorist attack. I honestly, Asymmetrical I, warfare. You you need to be held to, to use a strike aircraft. You need to know where your enemy's going to be. The whole point about terrorism is if they pop up where you least expect them. So it seems a bit of a it's saber rattling, and it, and it's well, a completely pointless it's, exercise. It's it's yeah okay I I can see that they're also dispatching one of our guided missile destroyers, the USS Cole. So the U.S. is sending an entire squadron of F-22 fighters and one of our guided missile destroyers to the United Arab Emirates to deal with well, a, a small Iranian-backed got, terrorist group out of Yemen. You've already got ships in the region anyway. Right. You've got a whole uh, carrier group in the region. Right. We've got a carrier group you nearby. Guys have, yep, yep, yep. If the forces on the ground can identify the headquarters, then those kinds of assets can do very clinical strikes and take out their their um their core, their headquarters, their their infrastructure. That's that's what those kind of weapons and platforms are for. Um but to stop terrorist attacks within the UAE itself, totally useless. You need boots on the ground. You need um, strong intelligence. You need undercover people. You need all the elements of uh, of warfare that most people know nothing about. So to my mind, this is just a uh, just a piece of news to to throw out there to show that uh-huh. something is Something's happening. being done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's yeah. Yeah, somebody's made a phone call to the State Department or whatever. They say here uh, again. I'm just I'm just reading here. Uh, they say that uh, there have been five attacks launched targeting uh, the UAE using drones and missiles since the start of this year. So over the last uh, five weeks, following the most recent attack on February second, when the UAE's Ministry of Defense intercepted and destroyed three hostile drones that penetrated the country's airspace, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin spoke with uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nayan, Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi and Deputy Supreme Commander of the UAE Armed Forces, where the former pledged to send the USS Cole to Abu Dhabi. They've got a pretty decent military in the UAE, don't they? I mean, they've they've got some pretty pretty good assets over there, do they not? They have. They've they've just bought Two new frigates, I say just a, a few years ago now. They've got several very well-armed corvettes. Um, and their armed forces are quite large for the size of the country. You know, it's it's a, there's only about a million MRTs and, and their armed forces are massive compared with that one million um citizens because everybody else is is a you know, they're on a work visa. You know, the the, the country itself has got 7.4 million people in it, but only 1 million of those are Emiratis. And of course, only Emiratis can be in their military um, actually carrying weapons. So they, they do have quite a large armed forces and, and they have been into Yemen. So these attacks 
by drones along that border there aren't many big settlements the big settlements are in each emirate has got a large city and the rest of it is fairly disparate so exactly what these drones might have been attacking i have no clue because well, there isn't a lot there you go across the border you're looking at sand yeah yeah i did see and I, I know bruce wants to jump in there but i did see last week they hit uh one of their oil storage ports does that sound right that that could happen yeah um obviously uh, and these but the the drones are are not massive platforms they what they can carry is is very limited they don't have aircraft so they're using they're using drones and these things the payload is not is not huge so how much damage it might do um remains to be seen I think you guys are skipping over one important key element. A lot of the advisors for the Biden administration are contractors or were boards on contractor uh, organizations or manufacturing of weapons or hardware. Um, so shipping over weapons and hardware and using it only helps their stocks. It's a good point. Yeah. It is being quarterbacked yeah. by Defense Secretary Austin, who, I mean, here's a guy who's getting off a plane on a tarmac by himself with uh, double masks, triple vaccinated and face shield on. So uh, what what can you expect with that? All right. Uh, we will go ahead and call this one done. So uh, I want to uh, want to thank you for being here today, Marty. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. I it's been Marty, if you'd like to come on Tuesday, you're more than welcome if you're able. I mean, it's I, the invitation yeah, sure. there. The, the invitation. Thank there. you. Yeah, I'll do my best for you. Okay. If, um, if things change, I will let you know. But in the meantime, I'll be here Tuesday. Okay. All right. That sounds fantastic. So we'll get you uh, We'll get you on uh, on Tuesday of next week. So uh, for those of you who would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. Marty especially would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by dropping us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. If you would like to address Marty personally, just put attention Marty on there. We'll make sure that he gets it. He loves the feedback. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. Isn't that right, Marty? I do. I, I, I love feedback, negative or positive. Or, you know, it's all useful. We express our individual opinions on on this podcast and if someone's got an issue with any of those opinions then we're here for a conversation well said sir right i want to thank you for being here today marty thank you for being here today bruce thank you to all of the listeners everyone have a fantastic weekend we'll see you on monday adios